This morning from 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have you been hearing about the situation in Oklahoma where for the last few years at the beginning of every school year, we have been thousands of teachers short in terms of filling those positions in classrooms across the state? I was reading another article in a newspaper about this not so long ago. They pointed out that they had done a study looking at the average teacher salaries from across the nation, comparing that to the average salary of a school teacher in Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, on average, our teachers were being paid $16,000 less a year. To bring it closer to home, they said they also looked at all the states that touched Oklahoma, so the states that surround us, and they said compared to them, our teachers are being paid $6,000 a year less than all those teachers in the surrounding states. They further pointed out that out of the 50 states, we rank as the 48th lowest paying state in the union. And then to make it worse, they pointed out that the two states that are below us now have both already passed legislation to raise their teacher salaries, which leaves us into the position of being number 50 out of 50. Now, I know there's a state question coming up about this. I am not here to make a political statement. I know there are a variety of views about whether or not this is the right way or the right time to address this. But certainly, I think it gives us something to think about because in our culture, money often confers value to another. How much we pay someone suggest how much we value their service. But all of that got me thinking about how we value teachers at Boston Avenue and whether or not we are doing enough to say thank you to them, to make sure that we appreciate and value all those in our midst who commit themselves and hours of their time and their talent to be teachers among us. 
It's Christian Education Sunday. This is one of the ways we say thank you to our teachers and say we value your presence among us. But it was interesting to me that as I was reading this text, which is the appointed epistle for the day, that in this passage, Paul points out that he is a teacher, a teacher of the Gentiles. Did you hear that in the last verse we read? He writes, for this I was appointed a herald and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I thought it's interesting how he developed that list. He uses teacher. He puts it in the list with herald and apostle. He may even mean it as a synonym for those as well. Now, we do not use the word, the word herald so very often anymore. But a herald in those days was a very important person. He was like the press agent for the king or the emperor. He was the one given the task to share the message or to share the news that the king wanted to share with the people. So he did not write or author the message, but was given the message and then sent out to go from town to town to town to share with people news from the king. He was the one who authenticated that truly this is a message from the emperor, from the king. It was a very important role that the herald played. But next, Paul goes to apostle. The apostle is one sent. It's a word that literally means one sent or to be sent. Paul is using it to identify himself as one sent expressly by Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that his authority to speak rests on the fact that Christ has called him to be herald and apostle. That he receives authority from another. But certainly in those days, and I think in these days as well probably, if someone came from a civic official in a high position, if one came, came representing another one of high authority, most of us would give that person who brought the message great respect. But then Paul does an interesting thing in this text. After he talks about herald and apostle, he adds a teacher. He adds that he is a teacher. And I began to wonder, would we continue to hold the high respect view if one came to us as a teacher from another? What is your view? When you think of those words, herald, apostle, teacher, are they all given the same level of respect? Or do you hold a couple of those in a different level of value than others? Do you put teachers in a place of prominence when you think of people that are due your respect? I'm afraid that we don't always do that. I think perhaps we do not hold teachers in the same high value and high respect place as Paul does when he is writing. But realize without teachers, we lose the core content of our faith. 
Without teachers, we begin to lose the vitality of our own faith because we lack the stimulation and the instruction and the insight given us by a teacher. Without our teachers, over the long haul, our churches fail. Without teachers, the next generation will not be a people of faith because they will not know of the faith. Paul says in his day, teachers were important. I think he's saying to us, we still need teachers because teachers are so very important. But there's more here that Paul talks about in this passage. Paul also tells us where teachers should start in this quest to fulfill their calling and their role. In the very first verse we read in the beginning of chapter 2, after Paul's written his introduction to Timothy, reminding him that he has sent him to be a teacher of sound doctrine to the people at Ephesus, he finally gets to the specific instruction and he writes, first of all, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made. Paul is saying to these teachers, start with prayer. But it's really a message to all of us that we should start with prayer. That we should have an ongoing conversation or dialogue or relationship with God because we were people of prayer. And if we've remembered to speak to God and to listen for God. Oh, Paul gives all different words there, supplications, which means request. He uses the word prayer in our translation. In the Greek, it alludes to the idea of conversation or dialogue. He goes on to say intercessions, that is praying for someone else, and thanksgivings, that is giving thanks to God. He's saying use all kinds of prayer. It's not always going to be the same But start with prayer. Be a person of prayer. It's an important word for teachers, but it's also an important word for all of us who desire to be followers of Jesus Christ. Then a second point Paul makes after urging us to start with prayer is to do this for everyone. Did you notice that little phrase at the end of that first verse after he says, first of all, pray in all these ways? And then he says, for everyone. Do you pray for everyone? Most of us, I think, do not. We tend to pray maybe for ourselves, maybe for those close to us. Maybe for someone who has asked us to pray specifically for something as they struggle with this or that in their lives. We may pray for those we hear who are ill or have some other physical ailment and pray for their recovery, their health, their wholeness. But I don't know many who pray for everyone. Most of us pray for our circle of people we know and forget about the rest. And what about those who we don't even like? What about those we disagree with? What about those we call idiots in our private lives? 
so much easier to criticize them than to pray for them. But Paul says this radical thing, these early Christians, that in their prayer time, they should pray for everyone, not just for some, but for everyone. Pray for everyone. It's quite a call upon us as followers of Christ to even consider, yet alone begin to incorporate in our lives. But then he goes further in the very next phrase, at the beginning of verse 2, he says, pray for everyone, then for kings and all who are in high positions. Now realize in these days that Paul is writing, there are no kings or people in high positions that are Christians. None of these people that Paul is now telling these teachers and others to pray for would be Christian. Some of them would be antagonistic toward the Christian faith. Some of them would be imprisoning people if they found out they were Christian. Some would be putting Christians to death, as happens to Paul later in his life, because of his faith. And yet Paul says, pray for everyone and pray for these kings and people in high positions. But we do not pray for them on their own merit. In verses 3 and 4, he tells us why. He says, this is right and is acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved. Who desires everyone to be saved. We pray for everyone because God desires that everyone be saved. So it's not pray for those leaders you agree with. Pray for those you think have done a good job. Pray for those because you like them. Paul's not saying that. He's saying based on your relationship with God, you should pray for everyone, including kings and those in high positions. Because God cares about all of God's children and wants everyone to be saved and oh what a difference teachers and leaders can make in our lives i bet if we would take the time this morning every one of us here could call the name of a teacher we remember that had an impact on our lives might have been in primary school or middle school or high school might have been a college professor may have been a youth director or a pastor but i bet every one of us can say the name of one or more than one who had an influence on us, who shaped and molded us, who poured themselves into us for our good, and we remember them in such a positive light. Do you know the name Brad Snyder? Brad was deployed with the U.S. military to Afghanistan. On September 7th, 2011 he was sent out on patrol he was at work on patrol when a bomb exploded he was in the area of the explosion and the next thing he remembers is waking up in post-op where the surgeon told him that you have less than one percent chance of ever seeing light and dark out of the right eye 
And we're going to have to remove the left eye. The explosion left him blind. A few months later, back in the United States, he ran into his former swim coach. And after they caught up some and had some conversation together, the coach said to him, Hey, Brad, you know, tomorrow's Saturday. We still have Saturday practice. Can I count on you to be there? And Brad says he caught an inspiration at that moment. And he said he realized that he had been focusing on what he could not do and that he needed to change his mindset and begin to focus on what he could do. And he needed to begin to say to himself, I can do this, I can do that, rather than what had been happening, which is I can't do that anymore. I can't do that. I can't do that. And so he said, he went back to swim practice. He began training with his coach again. And before very long, his coach had suggested to him and inspired him to begin to train for the Paralympics. It was about a year away. It was to be held in London in 2012. And so Brad began to train to go to the Paralympics. And almost exactly a year after the explosion, he was in London representing the United States as a Paralympian. He was on the swim team. He says he remembers that first race. He dove into the water. He began to swim as hard as he could, swam his heart out, came to the wall, touched the wall. But because he was blind, he could not see the scoreboard, and he did not know who won until his coach came over and whispered into his ear. He said, those two words I will never forget. He said, you won. You won. And not only did he win that gold medal, he won two gold medals and a silver at that Paralympic event in London. And then just last week, he was in Rio at the 2016 Paralympic Games, swimming again for the United States. And he won the gold in the freestyle event. And it was his sixth medal now that he had won for the United States as a Paralympic swimmer. How important are teachers? How often do they inspire us? How often have they given us new insight, given us a piece of knowledge or inspiration that we had not encountered before? How important is it that we have these kind of people in our lives? How often have they kept us on track or pointed us in the right direction? Teachers are so vital. Oh, leaders are really important. We need wise and steady leaders in uncertain times. But every leader has a teacher. And just like with prayer, where it's not just for some, but it's for everyone. The same is true for teachers. Teachers are not just for some of us, but for all of us. We all need to be under the tutelage of a teacher to continue to stimulate us to grow, to share with us new insights and knowledge, to inspire us to move forward into a positive future. I thank God for our teachers here at Boston Avenue 
For just like Paul and Timothy, they have responded to the call of God in their lives to serve others, to give of themselves for the good of another. Let me close with this. It also comes from the pen of Paul, this time when he was writing to the early Christians at Thessalonica. He writes this. It's an apt closing for us today. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who teach you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Amen. And thanks be to God.